Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to yet another episode of the Three Wise Guys podcast. It's your boy, Arya. I'm here with Luke, and I'm here with Delacbo. And today, we actually have a different episode. We got a special one. We got a book club for Gang Ed Top. So, boys, how you doing, first of all? Yeah, I'm doing. I'm doing pretty good. Uh, it was a decent day at work today. Foosball got us pumped halfway through. So, <laughs> wait, are you back in the? You're, oh, you're in the office, aren't you? Yeah, I've been in the office all month. So, yeah, that's yeah. nice. So, yeah, it was that was decent. And uh, you got back eight. Well, I ate normally. I eat after podcast, but I ate before this one, so that was nice. But other than that, smooth, smooth, smooth. Okay, nice. We're waiting on some food here too. To be honest, yeah. it's supposed to arrive around eight twenty. Um, so I think that's when uh, that's when we'll get the food and that's when we'll get that shit popping off. But uh, I don't even know what it is. My cousin's just like surprising us, so we'll see. Oh, yeah. she ordered the food for you guys. Yeah. Well, so if, if for those of you unaware, uh, there was a hurricane in New York last night or over the past like day and a half. Um, and Henry? pardon, yeah, Henry. Category our one, boy Henry. Crazy. Um, it got bad in parts of Brooklyn. Like, uh, I think Flatbush got hit pretty bad, but Bushwick was kind of okay. Um, but you know, we did get a little bit of flooding in the basement. Look Our gas doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> Our gas doesn't work, so we can't cook anything. Um, so that's yeah, my cousin just felt bad. So she's like, Here, you guys eat on us tonight. So that was nice of her. Um, that's but, yeah. nice. That's nice. Wait, you, so been, you guys, you guys in Brooklyn? Brooklyn, yeah, we are in Brooklyn. Ooh, Brooklyn We've been here lost since now. Wednesday. We vaguely remember the first two days, and then, <laughs> and then, right. then it started to rain. So that's when we sobered up. Um, but yeah, no, it's been it's been pretty good. There's still a lot left to experience. Um, Luke's been working like a dog today. <laughs> nice way to right. start the Monday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a nice way to start the Monday. How you how you feeling, Luke? Yeah, I mean, um, as my uh, strategist and my C- okay, so I did my first account review today, and it did not go well. <laughs> so, as my fucking strategist slash and CEO said on this call that I had uh, maybe uh, three hours ago, three hours forty six minutes ago, um, why is this client's homepage ranking in the gutter? Sorry, it's not actually even in the gutter; it's underneath it. It would be where it from Stephen King would live. <laughs> so that was that was like what happened, you know, maybe twenty minutes in. Um, so yeah, it didn't it didn't go it didn't go great. But you know what? When you start from here, the only way to go is up, baby. So we'll see how it goes the next that month. That is the energy we want, sir. That is exactly <laughs> the energy we want. But yeah, shout out to your boss for you know knowing how to get you going. <laughs> I mean, bro, it's uh, there's, there's, uh, yeah. The one thing you can't say about this job is the, the standards aren't very clear. Like it's, it's, it, the expectations are very clear. They're just not always the easiest to meet, sort of thing. But mm-hmm. like, like, let's talk about some more lighter shit. Like on, on the whole um, <laughs> New York vibe. Number one, really digging the food scene here. You know, like just being able to like. All right, you fucking said you were gonna tear it off notifications. That wasn't me. That, that was, was that was that definitely me. me. I'm sorry, guys. See, Luke, you just jumped <laughs> in the gun today. You just jump in the gun. Let's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <on> me. <laughs> 
Anyway, sorry. Yeah, you know what? I've been I've been going a bit too hard, Ari. Apologies on that. Um, <laughs> um, I love on you. the I Brooklyn love Wave, love, love, love the food scene so far in New York City. We've gone to some like more bougie places, which definitely kind of lived up to the expectation. But also just like being really fucked up at like 12 a.m. and then being able to like go to like a bodega to get like a sandwich. Like that's mm. honestly lit. And also, bro, like we could, you could get a sandwich and a beer. Like get more fucked up. Like Go for it. Go wild, right? You know also, what? I'm, I'm going to interrupt you here because, you know, I'm a, I'm an Advent listener of the Joe Budden podcast and they're based in New York. And I've heard great things about the bodega. So glad oh, to yeah. hear Luke is concurrent with those. So keep going. Yeah. Interruption. How can over. you not like the bodegas, though? They literally give you everything you need. And it's like there's never a bodega that's more than a block or two away. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's like a convenience store right here that also does sandwiches and shit. And then there's like the the bodega we've been hitting up. The the I don't want to like I think he's Dominican, but uh, I mean like most definitely South American. You hear the music <laughs> blasting. You see the, you see all the mans like and like you can see like the relationships in the neighborhood. You know, like a guy will come in and, he, and like he'll be like he'll grab a beer from the fridge and he'll just kind of like nod at the dude and he'd be like. You know what I mean? Like they, they know each other. Like man, man doesn't have the change on him now, but he's gonna be back. You know, like there's a tab going. <laughs> oh, but yeah, just, it's, just, it's, for, it's just for the sake of just for the sake of historic accuracy, just in case there are any uh, Bushwick Bushwick mans listening to us, I'm pretty sure they're all Puerto Rican. Puerto yeah, Rican. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they're all Puerto Rican. They're all Puerto Rican. Mm-hmm. Sammy, the dude down the street, he thought I was Puerto Rican, and he started oh, really? speaking Spanish to me. Like, <laughs> Somehow, <laughs> Aria, you're you're always like considered a very culturally ambiguous. I think, besides the airports. <laughs> It's never a question when I'm at the airport. It's never a question. Never a question. But but the last thing from me about New York, we went out last weekend. Um, only Friday because Saturday and Sunday it started kind of like storming out here. Um, it's been very hot, but man, dude, like, bro, they 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 built them differently out here in New York. That's all I can say, bro. Like, like, like. You know, sometimes you'd be out and like maybe like in Ottawa, like it's rare. Like in a night, you'll see like a wife candidate. Like here it's like, oh, her, 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 probably her, her. Oh, wait, she just made me change my mind about everyone. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Honestly, for real, though, for real, though, shout out. Shout out, you know, all the bars, all the restaurants. Shout out the waitresses at said places as well. Um you know, we got to show our appreciation. We got to show our love. It's always good. <laughs> so, so Ari, have you fallen in love 20 times since you've been in New York? <laughs> Luke, oh, Luke. you bet your ass. <laughs> you bet your ass. <laughs> it's like, I think I probably get like married and divorced like five times a day. You know, like, sure, maybe I believe in polygamy, you know, but I got to cap it at a certain limit. Otherwise, it's just too many portfolios to handle. Oh, my God. So, you know, you got to, like, drop one and take the next one. Oh, my goodness. I hope you guys aren't just fantasizing and you're actually hitting these girls up, okay? (laughs) No, bro. You'd be surprised, man. You'd be surprised. Mm. I'm not going to I'm not going to, you know, spill, you know, trade secrets on the show, but you know, yeah, maybe, yeah. this is you know, an good fortune has come my way already. Oh, anyway, oh, we're, we're let's not let's not get carried too carried away because we're never going to talk about these fucking books, bro. <laughs> Which would be Arya's dream. What books? 
Look at that, right on schedule. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So for our listeners, I think last month, um, in the first week, we kind of announced that, you know, we're going to be doing this every, like, let's say, like, four times a year type shit. Like, let's not be unrealistic about this, you know? Like, some of us are slow readers out here. Yes. <laughs> I, I, proudly take, I proudly take that that title. <laughs> Anyway, um, today we're doing a little book club. Each of us have uh, finished or finished parts of a book, and we're going to discuss it. So um, I don't know if anyone wants to go first type shit. I, I guess I can go before I get a little bit too you know, tipsy off this liquor type shit. <laughs> um, it's been a long day. So um, how this is going to work is we're going to kind of just have like five minutes or less to kind of just go over the book, you know, just talk about anything we kind of want, but kind of summarize our major takeaways, what we like about it. And then we're going to open things up for discussion for maybe like five to 10 minutes type shit. Um, okay. Cool. So I read um, Flow by, I am not going to butcher this name, but it's <laughs> Mehali. The, the last name is very long. I'm not. Luke, I'm not I would, I would suggest not saying that you're not going to butcher it before trying it for like what seems like the first time. <laughs> Yeah. Unfortunately, it was not the first time, but we're, 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 we're going to leave it. Um, so yeah, Flow is um, Flow is a book that was recommended me to by our boy William. Actually, he's actually in the building with us in New York. Um, William always seems to recommend like books that I really enjoy. He's recommended one of my personal favorite nonfiction books, which is Shoe Dog, uh, which covers film night. And this was like one of the next recommendations he was very excited about afterwards. So um, essentially he was like, read the first like chapter or so and you're going to be hooked. To be honest, I almost fell asleep during the first chapter, but uh, I, I decided to like kind of hustle my way through it. Essentially flow is the one of the many, many books that kind of talks about this idea of how to gain the optimal living experience out of your life. Um, but I think it kind of approaches it at a different route Flow is less about like do this and do this in terms of specific things. Like it's not, it doesn't tell you, hey, read. And it doesn't tell you like, hey, like journal. What it does is it, it tells you kind of a mindset to make every day and also very, very intense situations enjoyable. So it's kind of um, self-titled as the science of optimal living. I made a couple of notes here because honestly, this is a pretty heavy book. It took me a long time to make my way through. Um, so I'm going to kind of get started with that. Um, the first thing to kind of bring up that Flo really emphasizes is this idea that humans always like to think that the universe is made for them. The reality is the universe kind of just exists and we exist within the universe. Um, like nature wasn't made for us to enjoy it. Water wasn't made for us to drink it. It just exists, and we just happen to, quote-unquote, be the apex predators on Earth as of right now. One of the things that flow kind of brings to light is human happiness over the existence of humankind has actually not increased at all, although the quality of life has increased tremendously. So it kind of creates this interesting situation where we're like, well, why is that? When, like, you know, we're no longer being worried about, like, dying because we ate something, but we're still not happier, and it's because... What actually provides happiness is this idea of your interpretation of the specific situation. So in flow, um, what they want us to achieve is this idea of a state of flow. So I kind of like want to ask a generalized question. This is a redundant question, so you don't have to answer it. But why are games considered fun? 
Like why are games like basketball or video games or whatever we categorize games as fun? And it's because games are kind of made up of a number of tangible things. Number one, there is a structure to games. We all have the experience of being on a playground and like halfway through the game, the fucking kid is losing and he starts making up rules, right? That makes the whole experience really like shitty. So games have a defined set of structure, a defined set of parameters, and there's also a reward at the end, even if it's just victory. So the idea of the state of flow is there's five main components. The first is defining the goals of the activity. The second is finding ways to measure the progress. Number three is concentrating on the task at hand. Number four is developing the skills needed to make progress. And number five is raising the stakes once you achieve your goal. And then you go back to step one, and that's the idea of flow. It's a continuous cycle. Now, this is kind of abstract. And in the book, it goes into a tremendous amount of detail about how to apply flows to things like your work and also how to apply flow to very mundane things like, for example, like doing chores. And it also talks about applying flow to more intense situations, like let's say um, confronting a uncomfortable situation. But I'm just going to break down kind of four general principles about how to kind of quote unquote achieve flow. And then I'm going to kind of reiterate again what the purpose of the book is. So the four like generalized things are like set better goals, ones with intrinsic value, um, become immersed in the activity. And if you can't be, perhaps kind of change the uh, types of activity, activities you're engaging in, paying attention to what's happening, which kind of is directly involved with being immersed in the activity, and ultimately just enjoy the immediate experience. So like doing something for the sake of doing it, that doesn't mean kind of reviewing the over, uh, removing the overarching goals, but um, kind of just doing it for the purpose of doing it. Um, so, you know, I said a lot and I kind of just want to bring it back because I think, again, this is a very intellectual book. I'm not going to lie. I don't think that it's for everyone, to be honest, just because they use a lot of complex terminology. And honestly, I read before I go to sleep and sometimes I fell asleep reading this book. But I, again, the whole idea of flow is what's most important to the human experience is the way we interpret it. And historically, we always say, like, if you try to make yourself happy, if you think of an experience as happy, you'll make it happy. But this book kind of takes on a different light in terms of that. It, it's about interpreting the experience in a way to kind of challenge yourself because it kind of like plays on this idea of the reward mechanism. If you're able to understand why you're doing a task, understand the goal that's at the end of the task and understanding why this task benefits you and convince yourself of that, that's how you kind of have the optimal experience. One of the statistics that applies is the reason uh, they did this uh, study basically with like hundreds of thousands of people around the world where they had like this like timer on them and it would go off randomly. And then these people would record how they're feeling at the time. And they found that on average, people experience greater happiness when they were working. And one of the reasons is because work actually has these defined goals Whereas kind of your own personal life doesn't. It's about it's a lot of, I'm just going to relax. But what does relax mean? It's just very ambiguous. And that's why most times it kind of leaves us feeling more exhausted or less satisfied than actually working on these specific goals. So what Flo is trying to do is apply that to every aspect of life. Apply that to your leisure time. Apply that to your work work and also your personal projects and also your approach to your family. Um, so yeah, ultimately... Nothing matters in the universe. The universe doesn't care about us. And if we want to enjoy it, we have to set these kind of parameters in order to enjoy life and, a, and get the state of flow. So yeah, that's, uh, that's, my, that's my little book, Two Cents. Do you guys have uh, any uh, questions, comments, concerns on it? <laughs> that was very uh, direct. 
and uh, yeah, that, a little bit that, like that a lecture was, there. <laughs> yeah, that was that was pretty cool. No, I really uh, fuck with that. That the whole status of like flow, I feel like it's very heavily linked to like self motivation as well, right? Because in order to to self motivate, you need to consistently be in a flow. You need to be in a rhythm. You know, you need to keep things going, and that's how you continue to push yourself and to do something else. So I can see why this is a very important thing and like the cornerstone of many like progressive mindsets and like being able to to be um, productive and and continue like the the whole idea of working right like you said work makes you feel better because there's defined goals that's what i like about this what louder oh louder okay my bad my bad here you know what let me just turn this up a little bit yeah okay but you guys got that for the most part right oh yeah totally okay cool and I was going to say, I, I think, well, I love how, like, I don't know, Luke started with, yeah, the world doesn't care about us. Like, you know, like, <laughs> that's always a great place to start any book or any, any topic. That was I, my I, favorite I, thing that you said. <laughs> you know what I mean? I feel I 1000%, you know, agree to that and agree with that, not agree to that. And uh, how it goes from, you know, your happiness is... Uh, is determined by your interpretation of things as opposed to the things that are happening to you. You know what I mean? It's not necessarily what's happening to you. It's how you receive what's happening. And, and then giving, you know, the five steps, which I don't remember, which I hope, you know, you can outline somewhere and, you know, one of the clips from the podcast, you can, we could just, you know, put those five steps and like how to recycle them. I think, I think those, those would be pretty helpful. I think that's a great way to, that's a great way to start it. And then, I think what the what the nice thing you said too was like I remember that last step that last step was you know and then you you adjust or you increase your parameters you know increase your mm-hmm. expectations and you go through that cycle again and, and that's where the flow because first time you go through it it might be a little bit rough but by the time you're going through it it's not like you'll get happier or excuse me you know you'll become joyous but that happiness will be, you know, sustained, I think, and it'll be easier to access it. So I think, I think those are, those are some pretty interesting and some pretty, very, some pretty important tools to like, you know, share. So yeah, I hopefully think you touched on something really important there too, D in the, in the whole sense of like, and like, yeah, this is just like revisiting what Luke said, but um, <clears throat> the idea of, you know, you adjust your parameters, right? I think a lot of people get stuck in this idea that like, you know, when you when you find a rhythm, when you find like you, you spend your whole life searching for what you want to do to find this rhythm to, to figure it out. And, you know, people are often surprised how that joyousness that came from first discovering that somehow goes away somewhere, some at some point. And they they take that as like a really negative sign. And I get it. You know what I mean? It is demotivating, but it's not the end of it because this whole idea of evaluate readjust reposition and retry like those are very valid things and it seems like because those are those are not rhythm things right like stopping to reevaluate is not a rhythm thing but Mm. you know in the same way that luke just described his whole book in the same way that we're all kind of resonating with this ironically those factors are honestly the most fundamental in sustain and flow and sustain and rhythm because nothing's perpetual really nothing is Mm. i like that Nothing is perpetual. And for the people that don't understand the meaning of perpetual, that that means something doesn't go on forever. You have to readjust, recalibrate, and start it all over again. It's not just going to keep on chugging along. 
So one thing before we move on, because I think, uh, and, and obviously if you guys have follow-up comments after, feel free, is I don't want flow to kind of seem like this grand thing you apply to like, let's say your life's ambitions. Because I think that's what people might think this like, I guess, principle is going after. The thing about flow is it's, it, it can be applied to anything and everything, right? So one of the case studies it talks about is one of the most fulfilled people who took a part of this study was this guy who worked in like a giant 100,000 employee like factory. And his job was just to like take a thing, put three screws on it and then move it, right? And then it was talking about how like every one of their workers were like, oh, after work, I can't wait to like go home and like, you know, like pop over a bottle or X, Y, and Z. But he was always like, really happy about it. And then when they talked to him about it, he was like, they were like, well, why, like, do you like, why are you smiling? Like when you're doing this, like, like why, like, why are you not miserable when you're just putting three screws on a fucking box? Right. And keep in mind, you don't get any sort of bonus incentive for doing a better job. You're just like on the clock. You know what I mean? And like reward measures are actually measured as a team. So you might say, well, how do you set goals where number one, the the quote unquote reward is not even in your specific control. It's actually in the control of your entire team. Uh, The task you're doing is extremely mundane and everyone else uh, like hates it. Well, Flo would kind of say like for him, he was like, well, I just like always challenge myself to do it the fastest. Like, you know, like last week I got this many done in my shift. This week I want to get this many done in my shift. And because he did that, every time he left work, he felt more refreshed. He wasn't leaving work like extremely exhausted just because he was counting the hours in X, Y, and Z. And now to kind of like move this to a different topic, this can also be applied to things like in your personal life, right? So this whole idea of the five steps to find your goal. Let's say like your goal is to like have a better relationship with your parents. Your goal in this case, in the flow principle, wouldn't be like, I want a better relationship with my parents. It would be something like, I want to feel more comfortable sharing things with my parents. And that like kind of breaks it down in terms of that whole flow. And then you can measure that more easily because that's a controllable tangent in yourself, right? You would be able to say, well, in the past, I wasn't comfortable talking to my parents about my friend group, but I, at least I did that now. And I feel more comfortable about that. So in a way, it can be kind of applied to like, obviously grand ambitions, like, oh, I want to have a, like a Y Combinator startup, but it can also be applied to like, oh, I want to like rake the leaves. You know what I mean? So um, again, like I don't expect every person to like set goals when they're raking the leaves. But the whole idea is if you do genuinely, I think you will enjoy the experience a little bit more. Yeah, I'm with it. Nothing too big, nothing too small. Just it's a principle that can go anywhere and everywhere. I like it. Flow. Yeah. Um, If we're looking for easy transitions, I guess, to the next one. Um, I like my book, you know, it's it's not as cerebral, um, but, you know, the the takeaway that I'm presenting to you guys, um, I, I'll explain how I kind of like bring it all back down to trust. It's more like trust within. And I relate that a lot to like the concept of flow because you know, I think it relates to self-motivation and self-motivation is a trust in self. Um, so I read um, Start With Why by Simon Sinek. Um, It's an interesting read because it's not necessarily like a self-help book, even though it's kind of just sounds like one through and through. Um, It's more so an analysis on 
um, the way that business is conducted. And more specifically, it's done through the lens of analyzing kind of like how Apple was able to um, take such a stronghold in the market. And honestly, it has nothing to do with their product line. <laughs> like nothing at all. It's entirely a mindset um, that it's presented to. Basically, you know, there's a few different ways that companies can approach, um, whether it be marketing or just their, their like this one was targeted more around their vision, but um, it can apply to, to almost any scenario. Um, you know, you can start with what it is you do. You can start with how it is you do it. Uh, but, you know, not too often do we see companies start with why they do what they do because that's oftentimes a more difficult question to answer it requires a little bit more thought and requires a lot more effort in order to pull and and attain attraction so basically what simon sinek does is he kind of breaks down um, the way that apple kind of entered the market um, promoted their messaging the way that they innovated their product so it doesn't talk about the product specifically but how they took you know one to the next step and then to the next and then the one after that Um, so the overarching theme of this book is is not what I wanted to talk about actually because I just I was I was I liked it but I wasn't captivated by it. Instead there was this one specific part of the book that really caught my eye and this actually relates to kind of how I've been leading my life. So I was able to resonate it with, with it a lot. Um, and it was more so around um, the way that we make decisions. And Luke, I think I brought this up like on the podcast where it was just us two. Um, and I was trying to talk about, you know, uh, what is instinct and, and you know, what parts of your brain make which decisions. And basically, um, Simon Sinek did a little bit of a deep dive, nothing too crazy, right? Um, but the why in which we resonate so, so dearly with um, – it's it, the chapter was specifically called this is not opinion this is biology so basically there's three parts hmm. to our brain or our decision making part of the brain right so we have the uh like the neocortex so this is like the the most outer part this is the this is the most basic decision making part this relates to kind of like the what you know the this is the what level so this is like rational analytical thought language all of these things so we're able to look through like facts we're able to look through data um, and we're able to kind of come to a conclusion based off of this but this part of our brain doesn't necessarily drive behavior behavior is driven more off of emotion this is just based off of conclusions, numbers. It's like a calculator pretty much, just with all the data that we're able to process in our mind. So this is where most of our decisions come from, right? It's like, you know, why would you, you know, why would you decide to drive rather than walk? Well, because, you know, walking would be about two hours and that's kind of stupid um, type of thing. So that's, that's the neocortex, right? Then there is, you know, two middle sections of how we make our decisions right and um there's two decisions and then these two parts here they make up the limbic brain um so this is where all of our feelings are you know like we see like like loyalty and and love and and like i was saying earlier trust um all of these exist in this section of the brain and you know to simon's point this response this corresponds directly to like the why um so this does drive human behavior as well as decision making now 
The interesting part about this part of the brain is that it doesn't drive language at all. There's no language connectors to these two parts of the brain inside the limbic part of the brain. And that's oftentimes why it's so hard for us to describe our emotions, to describe why we feel the things that we do. It's often just like a gut feeling. Um, you know, this is this is ultimately what this is our gut. You're right. The limbic part of your brain is your gut because it can drive decisions, but it drives them based off of emotions and like um what is it subconscious decision making, you know, things that you've already analyzed in the background, things that you don't pay too much attention to. Um, so it's a lot harder to penetrate here. But when you do penetrate this part of the brain, people gravitate towards it. It deals directly with your emotional strings. It's a lot harder to make this connection. But once you make it, the connection lasts a lot longer as well because it's just, it's hard to explain, right? It's like, I love, you know, what do I even love? I don't even know at this point. Like, see, this is, <laughs> I'm trying to decide what it is I love. It's hard for me to come up with the words, but when you try to describe why you did something out of love, think about it any moment in your brain. You know, you can share it if you want. You don't have to, but it's oftentimes like, why did you do that? Well, you know, because it was the right thing to do. Or mm. why did you do this? Because they were doing the wrong thing. You know, it's an emotional connection that you're making. So it's not always the most rational, but. Um, studies have shown that um, this part of your brain actually does make highly efficient decisions because it takes less time to do it. And since it is already kind of gathering and collecting and and kind of using all of the subconscious decision-making, subconscious analyzing that you're already doing, um, it makes fairly educated decisions. Um, so that's why, you know, when, you, when you're in school, you know, your teachers say like, oh, when you're filling out like a... Uh, a multiple choice, you know, um, always go with the first option that you chose because your gut is usually right. Um, that's why you see a lot of proverbs. They'll be preaching like, you know, use, trust your gut, trust your gut. You see this a lot. Um, anyways, I, I, I thought this was a really interesting part of the book. I, I spoke out with Luke on that one podcast a little bit. Um, you know, I feel like the way I lead my life is I try to trust my gut as much as possible. Um, whether that be me just kind of heeding this advice or me trying to run away from the consequences of explaining my decisions is yet to be determined. Um, <laughs> but uh, I thought that this was a really, really cool part of the book. Um, there was also another part and this one's just like a, like a extra tidbit um, because I, I actually do really like the message that he gave across. I think every company should start with the why. Um, he gave one specific example between like Dell and Apple, right? Where in that, okay, like Dell and Microsoft and all these guys, you know, they tried, for example, Zune. You guys remember Zune? No? Exactly. Zoom oh, is an duh. MP3 player. Yeah. I was say. <laughs> Zoom is an MP3 player. Okay. I don't know if it was done by Dell or if it was Microsoft. Can someone uh, Google that? I think I it was Google this. It was I Dell, I'm pretty Zoom. sure. Zoom, I like Z U N E. Zoom. It that? was done by Microsoft. Microsoft. Microsoft yeah. yeah. So here's the thing companies like Microsoft, companies like Dell, they started with the what? You know, what it is, what do you do? You know, it's like, oh, we make computers or, oh, we make phones or, you know, oh, we make games, right? It's harder for those kind of companies to expand and try new things. They don't have as much flexibility, right? Because their mission is just what they do. So it's just serving one specific need. Whereas, you know, a company like Apple that has been able to do computers, phones, 
games. They've been able to do MP3 players. They've been able to do headphones. They've been able to do speakers. All of these things, honestly, very effortlessly. I don't know if you you agree, but that's because they had a lot of flexibility in deciding to start with the why, because they were answering a bigger question. They were saying, "How do we make your life either better?" Or I forget exactly what the um, what the conclusion was that uh, Simon like broke it down to. But basically, Apple was was trying to pull at the 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 purpose of why people buy Apple products because it gave them a greater sense of belonging. It let them be at peace with something that they believed in. They they had something to to look forward to. And that's why they were able to translate that. It's like this product does that. This product does that. So this product also does that. Hmm. And ultimately that is my short but brief like takeaways from these two parts of the book that I really liked. Um, I don't know if you guys had any thoughts, wanted to kind of share anything that you, you, you took away from my little spiel here, but I highly recommend the book. Um, it's an easy read, you know, for people who don't read too much like me. Um, so that was, that was really a big positive. So yeah, I know I've been rambling, but you guys take it away. Yeah. So, <clears throat> sorry. I, I, I kind of do want to come at it with some, so I'm not necessarily, I'm not necessarily criticizing the book itself because I have also read this book. I do like Simon Sinek and his approach to, again, like no specific like influencer in the business. Um, sorry, influencer is probably a bad word, but like no, um, no significant figure in the business world is ever looked upon as perfect. And I think that's definitely true. Um, I kind of want to just like bring up one specific point, right? Like your why is defined by you, in my opinion. Like, you know, like you talk about Apple's why and you bring up like, like for example, the, the iPod versus the Zune. And absolutely, right? In that case, you're, you're, you're completely correct about that. But for example, some of the products Apple creates – they're imitating someone else's why too. Like no company is able to, uh, in my opinion, create like a portfolio of products that are all just the most insane in every industry. I don't think that's necessarily like the case, right? Like for like, I would personally give the example of like, for example, like I like, for example, iTunes versus Spotify or like Apple's displays, how they were using like the Samsung displays for the longest time. Like every person's why is kind of a little bit different, but I, I do agree intrinsically with the message that's kind of being presented. I just kind of want to like raise that one like little little point. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. No, 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 it's the- fine. Yeah. Sorry, go deep. Well, yeah, I was I was taking it somewhere completely different. So if you want to, you know, comment on that, go ahead. I like I do see what you're saying, but I mean the book didn't really go over like product lines. That's why, you know what I mean? The book, the book kind of, I don't even know where I was going with this, to be honest. Like, I, I see your point. I do agree. Like, nothing's perfect. Uh, but I feel like that wasn't necessarily the, the message of the book either in, in, in that respect. It's, it's not the message of the book, but like, it's, I would say it's kind of like the ultimate purpose of the book is to find a, Correct me if I'm wrong, but the ultimate purpose of the book, at least from a business standpoint, is to find a kicking off point that will ensure your company's success 
And it starts with why, like an like an internal motive sort of thing, right? I took it more as that why is not like an internal motive, but it's like an all-encompassing motive. Like the why is applicable to everything and everyone around you. So it's like people who interact with you, their why is relatable to the why that you present outwards. Like you're right. Everyone's why is going to be different, but you can relate to other people's whys as well. People can have multiple whys. So, that's the way so I took it. That's why I would disagree with your point. Because again, this is the purpose of the book, in my opinion. First of all, I, I don't want to dwell too much on this because all right, this is why I'm like, you shouldn't do this book because I've read this book too. Because <laughs> like my, my whole thing is, when I, to be honest, when I read the book, I think that it's, it's a very good starting off point, but I don't think it's the whole picture. Like when you start off with why, I think someone's why has to come from an internal place, right? Like it has to come from your personal and, and as you say, from a, from a kind of like a subconscious area. But all this to say, your subconscious area does not necessarily, like society might not accept that. Like society might not accept your why. And in that case, at least from a business standpoint, that would not be as much value because your business is unsustainable. You're right, but that, that, that could be applied to anything, right? It's like you make a shit product and then- But that's no not true. to resonate. That's not true because if your focus was on profitability instead of why you're creating your business, I would say, I would argue that the pro- if your business was based on profitability, at least from a societal perspective, it would be more likely to succeed. I think starting from why is it... Sorry, what I was saying more so was to be like, if someone comes up with a bad why, it doesn't really matter what the why is. The why Do you think a bad anything. why can't success, succeed? Because a I bad think, why cannot succeed probably, just the same way that a bad product I, I completely succeed. disagree. I completely disagree with that. I know a ton you, of you people- You disagree? That, sorry, continue. Sorry, we're lagging. Okay, sorry. I guess like the question would be, what is your definition of success? Because my definition in this specific scenario, and again, this is a business book, right? This isn't a self-help book. Mm-hmm. I would say most people would think that the- definition of success in business is profitability. If you're not profitable, how do you exist as a business? Mm -hmm. Precisely. Right. So I would say in that case, in many scenarios, chasing profitability instead of chasing an internal reason for why you're creating the business you're creating, in many ways, you might be more successful in chasing profitability. Now, Mm -hmm. you raised the point that if you want to kind of create this um, business that's very outstanding, you know, the Apples, the Teslas, um, those kind of companies of the world. I do think you have to have an, ex- an internal reason for what you're doing for uh, what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But on that front, I, I think it would be kind of irresponsible to put out this message that if you create a business that measures to your reason for creating that business, you'll be successful. I don't necessarily. Th- agree with that message. I don't think that would make your business successful. In fact, I would argue that in more scenarios, it would make you unsuccessful. Uh, okay. I, uh, first of all, I don't think that was the message of the book that if, as, if, you, if you have this why and you focus on it, you'll be successful no matter what. I don't think that was the message of the book. Um, I also okay. don't think that in most cases, you would get the adverse effect. Um, I think this was really? a starting point. Like you said, the book literally says start with why. 
Start with why and then build outwards from there. So you don't need to focus on that the whole time. But if you start with why, you have that intrinsic value, which you just agreed that, you know, everyone kind of has and everyone kind of needs that bit to to be able to, to, to have those levels of success as well. Every single company that you see that is successful has like that why within them. They have that mission. They have those values. Okay. I, I don't, I don't want to divulge too much into this topic. I, we, we get discussed this off the podcast because yeah. I, 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 I do truly think that <laughs> I, I truly think that the message you're presenting is important, right? I just kind of want to present that countermeasure where it's like, if your goal is to be sustainable as a business, don't just consider the why. Consider like, you know, all the boring stuff, like consider the market, Absolutely. consider the product, consider what it is you're doing. Absolutely. Today. And that's, that's really important. And I, and I'm, I do believe that was touched on in the book too. Um, okay. I think it's just, yeah, like we, like, I think we're on the same page here. I think it's just the order, like the book just presents the why as being the most important thing to start with, because when you start with any of the other ones, you limit yourself. So that was that whole flexibility of the why, because then yeah. you're able to kind of pivot and do other things while not necessarily damaging the initial draw that brought your, 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 your customer base in. Now, I know D's been like, just like watching, waiting for a moment to pop in. I feel like he has something to say, but um, no, I think Luke and I are honestly like on the same page. We're just approaching it from like different, uh, different lenses. Yeah, no, I, I, I see where Luke is going. Luke is like context. Luke is not the biggest fan of Apple. So any book that starts with breaking down <laughs> Apple, Luke is going to find lots of things. To Most definitely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I wanted to focus on the, the limbic part of the brain. I think that's a beautiful mm-hmm. point to, to, to come at. Like, you know, I'm, like I've, I've, I've done some studies about that. And yeah, it's, it's one of the lesser spoken parts of the brain. You know, everyone focuses on the prefrontal cortex. You know, that's the stuff where you do all the number crunching and all that stuff. But the limbic part, you know, it has the thalamus, hypothalamus, and epithalamus, and it's the emotional center. And, you know, shout out to bro, the broski, Ola. I remember on a particular uh, uh, adventure. (laughs) Uh, 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 Yeah, I was just going to say an adventure. We, We came upon the realization that emotional quotient is just as important, if not a little bit more. No, just as important as your intellectual IQ, intellectual quotient. Right. Meanwhile, everybody speaks about your IQ and not as much about your EQ. And I believe that your limbic system is like emotional center, just that having an emotional quotient, being able to understand it, being able to regulate it is is one of the most important things that you can ever do, you know, in your life or one of the most best places to start with, you know. <laughs> and uh, just, you know, RESS, trust your gut. Like I, I, I have my own version of that saying, which is like tune your gut. You know what I mean? That's, that's something like you always need, you know, your gut, it'll fail you. Okay. If you've used it, it will fail you. But if, if you, if you tune it and like, you know, Luke said, adjust, like in that flow, adjust the parameters and you move, I find like it, it, you know, it does a lot. And like, just wanted to stress the importance of, you know, the emotional quotient and understanding emotion, your emotions and those of the people around you, you know, sometimes I take joy in like, you know, just poking fun at people and, you know, like just arousing them emotionally and stuff just to let myself know that, yeah, I do have access to your emotions and I can make you do things. So in that sense, I can totally understand how, you know, in a business, you know, 
like your why and you know knowing how to access a consumer's emotions and knowing what exact what exact bush buttons to push to make a consumer feel a way is as important i wouldn't say more important as important as you know the product that's being made and and those kind of things so definitely start with why <laughs> uh, or i i i not not definitely that's something to consider and uh, I definitely agree that, you know, understanding your subconscious and, you know, just getting to know and master your emotions definitely helps, you know, go a long way. So like, I don't know if anyone has anything to say about that before I go into my book, but. Let's get it, bro. D, I'm so sorry, but like uh, food arrived right before <laughs> yeah. you, uh, right before you began and I missed it, but I'm sure what you said was beautiful. Um, I, lo- I love you dearly. I love you dearly. <laughs> hey, I'm sure it was beautiful too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. I mean, okay. I'll, I'll go. I'll go into my book then. Like, you know, no, no delays. So, um, I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach to my book. I'm going to talk about the author, and then I'm going to talk about the book, and then I'm going to talk about uh, what I got from it. So, in that sense, so uh, the book that I I read was uh, Gay Z Made in America, and it was Ooh, nice choice. It was uh, by Michael Eric Dyson. Shout out to Ola. This was her, his birthday present to me. So love the bro as well. Uh, it was uh, it was a beautiful book. Eh, beautiful. It might be a little bit too, you know, nice. Chill out, man. Chill out. Yeah, it was a good book. And then, uh, like I said, I want to start talking about uh, Michael Eric Dyson. He's a he's a professor, a professor of like religion and like black history and black culture and. And I wanted to talk about him because I think he's uh, like, I'm not African-American. And like, I like to like, like I just want to say that I'm black, but I'm African. Okay. Like raised in Africa. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not American in any, any form of the sense or any means of the word. So I don't, I don't necessarily always empathize with their plight or always understand it, but like, you know, I'm always willing to learn and always willing to, you know, you know, gain more insight on that. And definitely there's so, certain things, you know, that, you know, uh, what's it called? I, I, I would say apply to me with the African-American plight as well. So just putting that as a forward there. So Michael Eric Dyson, he's a, he's a professor. He, one thing that's really cool about him is in his classes, he teaches classes about hip hop artists. So he, before he wrote this book on Jay-Z, he taught like a lecture, like a whole, like, you know, course, like people from people that have gone to university on Jay-Z. Uh, he taught on Nas, he taught on Michael X, he taught on Martin Luther King, analyzing these people's works, like they're written, they're spoken, and, you know, trying to draw themes and values and, you know, things like that to relay into the, the African-American community to motivate them. Because, you know, uh, for African-Americans, they don't usually have that many role models. You know, they're few and far between as opposed to you know, their counterparts in the same country. So it's very important. That's why I wanted to talk to him. And then I also want to say, you know, what I don't like. So I love that about him. I love that he's well-read. He got a Princeton PhD. He's very, very eloquent. It's beautiful to listen to him when he's speaking and even to read him when he's writing as well. But the, the one thing I don't like about him is he gets very, very preachy. And he's an, he is an ordained Baptist minister. So, you know, you, you should. You so it's in his blood. Yeah, so it flows in his blood, but you know that's the thing. You know, some uh, some African Americans or some black people in general, when they start, you know, speaking well, it just that sounding like snake oil and so sweet, and like you're like, all right, uh, what's going on here? This might be a little bit too good to be true. So, 
there are elements of that in the book. So beware, you know, he does get a little bit preachy about the, you know, African-American plight and racism a little, like, you know, it's not like it's wrong or anything. He just, you know, puts it in a preachy, in a preachy vibe. So that's, you know, a little bit about uh, Michael Eric Dyson there. So he's a champion for the African-American plight in, in the U.S. and all of that. And then about the book, Jay-Z Made in America, uh, a summary of the book in like what one line, one sentence, two or three is it's the American dream from the African-American perspective. That's essentially what that is. Mm. So I, I've, I've read when I came, when I first came to Canada, uh, I remember one of the first books I read was the great Gatsby, which is mm. the American dream book. Right. So in reading that, I was, be, I was able to find a lot of parallels between the great Gatsby, not necessarily in the storytelling because the great Gatsby is like a novel or like a fiction. And this is more like, you know, a synthesis of Jay-Z's life, but I was able to see a lot of similarities in in the way they thought and the way they approached it. And, you know, summarizing what is the American dream or what is, what is the main ingredient of the American dream? Uh, Michael Eric Dyson, he, 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 he puts it as hustle, hustle 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 hard <laughs> like we've like if you listen to rap you've heard the word hustle before if you go to new york as where you guys are living you're, you're i'm pretty sure you're familiar like everybody there is hustling everybody's doing something i live in toronto now everybody's hustling you go to any any capitalism fueled city it's all about the hustle you know that's what it is like what are you willing to do how far are you willing to go how bad do you want it you know what i mean that's all it is. And it was, it was pretty interesting because, you know, back then, back home, like I always thought like hustle was like, you know, a black thing, not necessarily an American thing. You know what I mean? And and uh, Michael was just talking about like, you know, hustle is an American thing. And it's actually something a lot of black people feel at. You know what I mean? And then he brings out Jay-Z as an example of someone that has excelled at hustling. And, you know, it's funny because Jay-Z, and it, it, as he's talking, you know, Jay-Z is an artist, so, and he's a poet, essentially. You know, he compares Jay-Z to Walt Whitman, you know, Rumi, all the great poets of the past, and I, I agree. I would be there. And then, you know, uh, Jay-Z has a lyric where he says he's the immaculate conception of a hustler or something like that. You know what I mean? Just just saying, yo, like, I really am, like, the, <laughs> the definition of a hustler, someone who made it literally, you know, the grass to gray story, much like, you know, a little bit like the Gatsby story. And the funny thing about the American hustle as well is it's never a straight path and it's never a clean path either. <laughs> you know what I mean? And this is where I was drawing the parallels. Like Jay-Z was a drug dealer. You know, he, he went from crack cocaine to fucking, you know, selling. I don't know, like what Jay, everybody knows what Jay-Z does, but like we all know he used to be a drug dealer. And, you know, like, comparing this and, I, and I'm trying to be very careful and drawing the parallels between the African American version of the hustle and the, you know, white American, I guess, or the American version of the hustle, you know, and the great Gatsby as well. He was a bootlegger and that was, you know, the, the selling of uh, what's it called of alcohol illegally and all of that. And, you know, that was the start. That was not necessarily the end of their stories because, you know, Gatsby did a lot of things, but for, and for Jay-Z as well, you know, that was not necessarily the end of his story. So, he just goes on and he, he describes, you know, Jay-Z's little, like, you know, the stages of his life going from, you know, being an artist, trying to get a record deal, from getting his record deal to, 
selling uh, from yeah from getting his record deal and setting up his re- his record company to releasing a successful album and selling his record company Rockefeller to Def Jam, and then while selling his company to Def Jam, leveraging that to become the president of Def Jam, you know, and then while doing that, you know fucking uh running it and then quitting music and you know becoming an executive from doing that to establishing businesses you know the clothes the alcohol from doing that to becoming a mogul like owning title all of that and this book is fairly recent so jay-z had already been announced as a billionaire to become to letting jay-z to you know how all of those little little hustles here and there led to him being you know first hip-hop billionaire which is great you know Daisy's a decent role model for decent. <laughs> he's a good role model for the African American community. So, I would say I just really like how like uh, Mr. Dice, uh, Doctor Dyson, I guess, fucking he, he wrote that. Like I said, extremely eloquent. Like you know the way the way he he brought things together, the way he used the lyrics to to illustrate a story was it was pretty it was pretty it was pretty dope. I was gonna say he used some big word, pretty pristine. You know, you, you don't you don't see many people like if you're not like, you know, a hip hop head or like a podcast, you don't see many people. And which, which is one of the issues yeah. I have, with, you know, yeah. hip hop and African-Americans in general. You know, it's always informal means of communication. You know, like people wouldn't consider Jay-Z a poet because he rapped as opposed to write. But I like what Michael Eric Dyson is doing here where where he's turning something a little bit informal and making it formal, you know teaching an actual class on these people's lives and then actually writing a book on these people's lives and like actually turning something that, you know, a lot of people wouldn't take as seriously because of the method which Stewart used to transmit it mm. into something really serious. And then, you know, just synthesizing the American dream and letting everyone know that it's all, it's really all about hustle and it's not clean. <laughs> it's not clean. So don't ever, you know, be mistaken to thinking it is like it's going to be a straight path like you know um other people might not hide it as well or other people might hide it a lot better but you know we've all seen i think we all know the story of jay-z he's been very vocal about it and he was saying this is this is a, a good story that we can you know all relate to and then you can relate it to other story of american heroes or people that were successful in achieving the american dream yeah so yeah, relatable story for African Americans, and I just love how he took something informal or seemingly informal and cemented it and made it formal. And you know, like he's like I'd say, along with Jay Z, like uh, Michael Eric Dyson is, you know, definitely a big role model. Should be a big role model for the uh, African American and African or like you know, black people in general. You know, not too many. Uh, you know, black, uh, what would I say, uh, academics or, you know, cultural critics have made it. We have the Maya Angelou's, W.E.B. Dubois, but like, you know, Jay-Z and uh, Michael Eric Dyson, you know, they did, they, or at least this book, this body of work is it's pretty good. And uh, for people to, if you want to read a book that quotes rap lyrics <laughs> every other every other page or something like that, like I'd say you should give it a look. And yeah, the story is pretty relatable. So I'd say- so- that's my, yeah. Oh, that's, sorry, Aria. I, yeah. I, I do, I do want to go in on this a little bit before you start. That's fine. First of all, that uh, lyric, the immaculate conception of a hustler, it's actually a Jay Electronica song. And I want to shout out D. 
because I would have <laughs> never, ever in my life listened to Jay Electronica <laughs> if I didn't live with thee. And the actual line is the immaculate conception of a rapper slash hustler. Hustler, yes, yes. Thank you, thank you for correcting that. Yeah, hey, bro. The the only way I know that lyric is because you had that whole album on repeat for two weeks straight. But onto the more important point, you were talking about the American dream for my African American versus the American dream, and I feel like. This is not related to the book, but it does touch upon a very important thing. You know, like I grew up in China. My parents are very, very Chinese, and I think that you know, like racism is kind of like a thing that is pretty prevalent in China, but also in most of the world, right? And I always used to tell my parents this: that situations isn't a race thing; it's a poverty thing. And I'm、yeah. so glad you brought up the Great Gatsby, right? Because、mm-hmm. when you think about the、uh, oh shoot, I forgot、uh, the guy's name in The Great Gatsby, but in the movie Leonardo DiCaprio,、mm-hmm. how did he make it? How did he get to the American dream? Did he do it in a clean way? Absolutely not. And and, and you know you're talking about like the African American way of the American dream. It's not different from the American dream. I think it, all it kind of highlights is this idea that. Listen, if you're born like "quote unquote" in the dirt in a really, really shit situation, you're you're riddled with poverty. Your family is dealing with X, Y, and Z problems, whether that's addiction, whether that's other things. You're going to have to do certain things to make it, and it's not a race thing, you know, like Jay Z, but also like when you brought up the Great Gatsby, this guy, like. He fucked、yep. over a lot of people. He had to、yep. tell a lot of lies. He had to do a lot of bootleg things in order to make it. And this、yeah. is quote unquote a white man. Obviously, this is a fictional tale, but I, I I really do feel like it illustrates a really important point. Like poverty is not an association of、mm. race at all, at all. And I feel like I don't. I shouldn't even have to say this, but I kind of do.、Yep. Like it is a it is an association of circumstance of certain. Situations of certain demographic,、uh, not demographics, certain geographics, which are not as well positioned, it has nothing to do with that. And I feel like your comparison of that naturally to the Great Gatsby kind of almost perfectly illustrates that, because that's how that guy also went from rags to riches. It's、yeah. not because of, you know, obviously perhaps it could have helped his skin color, but he had to do a lot of dirt in order to make it. He, he couldn't have made it legitly, and even then, in the book, he was rebuked by the old money people because、mm. he was in quote unquote new money, right?、Mm. So sorry, yep, yep, I don't yep, have any. You're hitting on it, no. <laughs> I, I don't have any major takes away on the book, but that just really resonated with me, with me in terms of the comparison you drew. Yeah, and and that that's where that's really where I was trying to get it get it to honestly, like you know, like. Obviously, and and this is where I'm I'm not too happy with Michael Eric Dyson. You know, he touches on the race thingy a lot there, but I was like, I was able to see. Obviously, race plays a role.、I'm、not gonna like it definitely、Absolutely. does. You know, it makes it a little bit harder. But you know, it's like there's there's the American dream is all about the hustle, and hustle is not like you know inherited money. It's not old money. Hustle is not old money. You know, hustle is not inheriting a fortune. <laughs> like. Hustle is getting in the dirt 
and getting your own out the mud literally is what it is and and jay-z's story is a perfect example of that and and i think what what mr uh michael eric dyson did really well was him saying that's the most american thing jay-z could have ever done you know get mm. his own out of the mud mm. you know made in america jay-z like like him actually coming from an impoverished household and and make and you know figuring out how to you know create wealth for himself and then not only figuring out actually going out and actioning it and doing it is literally the most american thing he could have done be him black mm. be him white and if we all notice you'll see like jay-z has been accepted and welcomed by the american business community like he literally has a campaign with like lvmh alexander like you know what i mean like not right now like he's literally being accepted by oh just because he literally like it's not about being black there's just right now like jay-z is more american like you know than anything like so and that's he's more he's american before he's black he's american before he's a rapper he's american before he's a, a, a ex-convict he's american you know so in that sense, I think that was where it was. And, and in that part, like, that's what I really loved about the book. And, and he writes the book in such a way that you can, he doesn't mention the great Gatsby in the whole book, by the way, that's like a Dilapo synthesis of this, right? It's a book, book club. Like he doesn't mention great Gatsby at all. I don't think he would have, but it was just me, you know, having read that and having known, like, this was about the American dream and that this is about the American dream and then trying to bring them together. So yeah, great book. Uh, so yeah, check it out. Check it out, people. I didn't have right, much else. You to, I didn't have much else to add to that. To be honest, there was the one thing that you said that I really liked, and I feel like not a lot of people give too much credit to, is the fact that Jay Z is indeed a poet. Um, it's like, yeah, that was something that's been on my mind for a while, and it's like it doesn't get talked about too much because I don't think he quite considers himself a rapper either. Um, <laughs> he's he is very oh, much a poet. I remember I used to like listen to this guy's like live sessions. And the way he just enter a room and just captivate it immediately, he everything he does is just spoken word. Like you're right, he yeah. doesn't write. You know, he doesn't he doesn't pre plan any. It's kind of like Lil Wayne, except Lil Wayne uses a lot more auto tune. But <laughs> Jay Z just will walk into a room. No, for real. Like Jay, Lil Wayne does the same thing. He doesn't write any Bro, of his parts. But, but Lil Wayne is the okay. Sorry, never mind. Anyways. Um, Jay-Z will walk in and he will just do spoken word over the beat. You know, you yeah. will just do spoken word over the beat. Like it's nobody's business. He will give a lovely, lovely poem and then that'll be a fucking hit. I don't even know what else to say. Um, that's just that's just what Jay-Z is. So, no, I was really glad that that comparison was made as well. And that was the consideration and the lens used to evaluate um, Jay-Z. Awesome. Boys, um, I'm going to wrap this up because our... For our book reviews, I truly believe our community highlights should just be the three books we recommend. So no community highlights this week. We'll save it for next week. But on the poetry part, like rap is an acronym, right? Like rap is rhythm and poetry. And I don't think a lot of people kind of recognize that, especially with the modern day like trap and like, you know, all this other stuff. And you know what? Like I might even stretch it like for me, like even the modern day trap is poetry in its own way. Uh, I might get like Casper saying that, but I truly believe it. I, I do think it's own type of poetry. You know, there's different types of poetry. You know, there's the there's the long form content shit and there's also, you know, like shorter and more digestible things. But um, 
Yeah, I, I, I totally agree on that point. And I feel like it's, it's rare, you know, everyone thinks of biographies in terms of, oh, I'm going to read a biography of like a popular business person. Like I recommended, like I mentioned earlier with um, Phil Knight and Shoe Dog, or I'm going to read a biography by like a philosopher or a politician. But like, why not read like biographies of these people that we truly, you know, are inspired by? Yeah. And and this is technically yeah I get what you mean by but this isn't even a biography it's just like going over like his work but like I guess it is um, like it's not as formal in this you know biographies would be like right, oh like, yeah. but like it's not as formal as a traditional biography but it is kind of a biography though but yeah don't yeah no, I, and I totally agree it was like it's it was a great way to just understand and see someone in in like I said in a formal light you know you, you we've all heard like you know. YouTube videos of Jay-Z, <laughs> like we've all seen them. We've all heard like podcasts of people sucking his dick. But like, uh, I'm like he, like I said, Michael Eric Dyson literally taught a course for the, like for a whole semester on, on him. So his book was him basically synthesizing all of his content. Like, so yeah, it was very interesting to see it presented in uh, in a very formal way. So, yeah. All right, boys. Yes. That seems to wrap up this conversation. Um, <laughs> no, nah. um, honestly, this was a really, really good episode. Um, I'm really happy to do future book clubs with y'all. To everyone listening, if you really like it, let us know what you think. You know, we want feedback. We want to know uh, how we can make these better. Um, <laughs> that's that sound right there is just the music of one of the cars passing by outside. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, man. Oh, if you guys, loud. if you guys heard a knock earlier, it was because William ordered two pairs of shoes from Goat, and it got delivered to the neighbors, and then they knocked on our the window right here, and now he has them. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's so funny. When the food got here too, it was actually like she was about to go to the neighbors, and then I came out, and she's like, "Oh, hi." Um, but- Anyways, um, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps up yet another episode of the Three Wise Guys podcast. It's been your boy, Aria. I'm here with Luke, and I'm here with the Lockbow. And until next time, one love. One love. Mwah.